everyone, and welcome to the Live Through Jesus podcast with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, is it ever okay to lie, faith, and salvation? This is Joshua 2, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Quickly before we get started, if you're new to Live Through Jesus, make sure you go to livethroughjesus.com and sign up to receive your free five-week Bible study over Abraham. There you'll also find blog posts that coincide with the teachings on this podcast and social media links, which is another way to keep in touch throughout the week. Okay, let's get started. So how do we respond whenever God reveals himself to us? When we see him for who he is, we realize that there's a creator, there's someone out there that has made us and he's powerful and he set up the rules of this universe. When we see all that, how do we respond? Do we realize that if he did create us, then he does have some say over our lives and also that he is the one and only God, and that we should follow him? Or do we resist that completely and say, you know, yeah, I realize that there is a spiritual force out there, but I refuse to acknowledge that he is the one true God, and I refuse to follow him. That's the question that we have before us today, because God has always used his people to reveal himself to the people that don't know him yet, and We're going to watch how that happens with a woman named Rahab and then also all of the people that she is living amongst and see the juxtaposition as to how she responds and how the other people respond and then the outcome of each one of their responses from God. Remember that Joshua was one of the 12 spies that Moses sent in 40 years ago and Only he and Caleb wanted to continue to go into the promised land. This is the land that God had promised to Abraham and his descendants over 400 years before. And Moses was trying to send them in, but he sent these 12 spies. And 10 of the spies were like, yes, this land is perfect. It's exactly as God told us, but there's giants living there. Their cities are fortified and we don't want to go. Joshua and Caleb said, yes, there are giants living there and the cities are are fortified, but God will be with us. He's promised this land to us and I trust him. The people wouldn't do it. So Joshua has been waiting 40 years to go into this land that God has promised them. And before he was just a messenger, he was just explaining to the people what the land looked like and all of that. But this time he is the leader and the people have promised that they will follow him. And so Joshua is about to send the people into the promised land. But since he is a military leader also, he sends two spies in, which remember there were only two from the first time that actually agreed to to go in. And so this time he only sends two. And these two spies, he says, go in, search out the land, especially the land of Jericho. And then report back to me so that we have a little bit of an idea of what we're looking at whenever we go in there. He has full intention of going in. This is not a, you know, let me know if we can do this kind of thing. It's just, I want to know what's going on. 
And so these two spies go in and when they get to Jericho, there's a wall around this city. And so they enter the gates and they go into a woman's house named Rahab. Rahab is a prostitute and she lives inside the city wall. So scholars tell us that there were two walls, one outer wall and one inner wall, and that there were houses built between the walls. And this is a perfect place for a prostitute to have her home because it would be accessible to travelers and it would also be accessible to the people that are living there. And so she lives within this wall, but this is also a perfect place for the spies to not be found, that men enter this woman's house all the time and no one pays attention. And so they think this is a perfect house to go to. And we know that travelers are aware of her. So maybe she was standing outside the wall and advertising her services and they saw her and she they go into her house. Now, they thought that this was a good way to stay hidden, but apparently they have some distinguishing features. Their uh, ethnicity is known. And someone goes to the king and says, hey, there are Israelites in this land and they're probably spying it out. And so the king sends two men to Rahab's house to ask about these men and capture them. But somehow Rahab gets wind of this and she takes the men on the roof. These roofs would be flat and she has some stalks of flax that she is drying out on the roof. So they would use this flax for linens and things and they would lay them out on the roof to dry. And so that's what she's done. So she takes these stalks of flax and she hides the men under these and lays them on top of the men so that no one will see them. And then she goes back into her home. And when the men knock on the door, this is what she says. This is uh, Joshua 2 verse 4. And she says, yes, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut, when it was dark, that the men went out. Where they went, I don't know. Pursue them quickly and you should be able to overtake them. And so she sends the men out of the city, away from the spies that she's hidden on the roof. And they know where the Israeli camp is. They also know where the shallow parts of the Jordan River are. And so the men start out towards the shallow areas where most likely the spies have crossed. Once they leave the city gates, Rahab goes onto the roof to get the spies, and then she professes faith in their God. So this is the important part of the lesson. This is verse 9. I know that the Lord has given you this land. The terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og. Remember, they have defeated those two kings on the east side of the Jordan, and that's the land that Manasseh and Reuben and Gad will get. And then... She says, we heard that you utterly destroyed them. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. 
Neither did there remain any courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. And so this word that she uses for the Lord is Yahweh, his personal name that the Israelites use for him when they speak of him. And so she is saying, I know the name of your God, and I know that he has given our land to you. We saw all of the things that he's done to these other nations, Egypt and Sihon and Og, and all of the people here, they have seen this too, and everyone is scared. But unlike them, they're trying to to make war with you, but I am not doing that. I'm telling you, I know that God is giving this land. And so she was less afraid of the king and his men than she is of their God. She believes that God will give the land to the people. And so she says, I have faith that your God is the God. She says he is the God of heaven above and earth below. She doesn't trust in the gods of Jericho. She doesn't trust in the kings or the soldiers. She has no faith in them. Her faith is in Israel's God. So she is exclaiming that to them right now. Let me continue reading in verse 12. She says, So I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown kindness to you, that you will show kindness to my father's house. Give me a true token and spare my father, my mother, my brothers and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. And so the men said, our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours, it shall be when the Lord has given us this land that we will deal kindly with you. So she's professing her faith in their God and then asking that he save her. This is exactly how we all receive salvation. And that's what we're going to talk about at the end of this. She is professing her faith in him and she's asking that he save her. And they say, yes, you saved our lives. We'll save your life. And yes, we'll save everyone who is in this house. All you have to do is just not tell on us. If you will do this, then we will save you. And so she lets them out of her window with a rope. She sends them in the opposite direction of the men. And she says, stay there for three days. Give them time to search for you and give up and come back to the land. And then you can go back to your land. They say, okay, we will do this. Now, when we leave, we need you to tie a scarlet cord in this same window And then when we come to attack your land, we will see this cord in your window and your house only will be spared. So anyone that you bring into this house, they will be spared. But anyone that is outside of this house, they will be killed. And all you have to do is just bring them into the house and make sure that you don't tell a soul. And she agrees to this. And so... Whenever the men leave, she ties the scarlet cord in her window and then the spies go out for the three days. And then just as she anticipated, they the men do give up. They never find the spies and they give up and come back home. And then the spies go back to Joshua. And this is the last of Joshua 2. It is verse 24. And this is what they say to Joshua. They say, truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands. For indeed, all the inhabitants of the country are faint hearted because of us. 
And this is exactly what Josh, what God told Moses to tell the people he was going to do. He said it in Deuteronomy 2.25 and also in Deuteronomy 11.25. He says, I will begin to put the dread and fear of you upon the nations under the whole heaven who will hear the report of you and they shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. And then in 11.25, he says, no man shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will put the dread and fear of you upon all the land where you tread just as he has said to you. So God told him, they're going to hear everything that I did for you against the rest of these nations. And they're going to know that I can do the same thing to you. And they're going to be afraid of you. And so the spies tell Joshua, that's exactly what happened. They are all afraid. And so God's promises are being fulfilled right before their eyes. This is just another confirmation that God is giving them the land because everything is happening just as he had planned. So I want us to talk about faith and salvation. That is the point of this lesson. But before I do that, I want to address the fact that Rahab lied. She hid the spies and then she lied to the men. And so I want us to talk just a minute about whether that's okay. Is it ever okay for us to lie for a good cause, especially if we're lying for God, trying to help him or save someone from evil, something like that? Is that permissible? Because Rahab never gets condemned for this, and it seems that it benefited her, right? And so maybe it's okay sometimes. We know that the Bible says not to lie, but maybe there are times when it's permitted. So I wanted to talk about this so that we can get in our own minds. And I'm just going to tell you my thoughts on this. You can obviously make your own conclusion. But one, Rahab, yes, she believes in Israel's God, but she's not been taught by God's ways. And she's also not bound by his laws yet. She doesn't even know them. She just has seen what he does and she trusts that he is the God no other gods are before him. He is the God of heaven and earth. And she is placing her trust of her life in his hands. That's all she's done so far. But she's not been taught all of his ways. So one reason I think that nobody says anything against her is because of that. The other reason is because that's not the point. Just like I told you, the point right here is faith in God, in God and salvation, that is what they were aiming for. The story wasn't about Rahab's lie. The story was about Rahab's faith. And so no one condemned her lie, but no one condoned it either. Although they did praise her for her faith. And so I don't think just because they didn't condemn her lie, it doesn't mean that they condoned it. And there's never a place in the Bible where it where God says, good job, I'm glad you lied right there. But there are tons of places where God says, do not lie. And I'm just going to read you one of them. Proverbs 12, 22 says, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delight. So we want to be delightful to the Lord. Also, all those that lie are aligned with Satan in the Bible. 
and all those that tell the truth are aligned with God. So I'm going to read you two verses that talk about that. John 8, 44 says that Satan does not stand in truth because there isn't any truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. This is just who he is. He is a liar. For he is a liar and he's the father of lies. Liars beget liars. That's what he's saying. But then in Psalm 33, 44, it says the word of the Lord is right and all his work is done in truth. So God never does anything in deception. And if we want to be his children, we should follow him and do all of our things in truth instead of being the children of Satan, because that's what it says, is that he's the father of lies. So we don't want to follow in Satan's footsteps and our character be that of a liar. And I understand that telling one lie is not the same thing as being a habitual liar, but Satan is a habitual liar. And when we tell a lie, we're acting like him. When we tell the truth, when all of our work is done in truth, like God, then we are following in his footsteps. And that's what we want to do. Now, there's also grace. God gives grace to his people. And so we're not always going to do everything right all the time. And that is understandable. But I think it gets into some sort of dangerous territory when we say, oh, well, it's okay to do something wrong now and then if you're doing it for the right reason. Then you can just do that with everything. We always have a good reason, don't we? And obviously, this is a good reason. Saving someone's life is a good reason. But where does that line get drawn? That's that's the question. In the book, The Hiding Place, Corey Ten Boom and her family are harbor, harboring Jews. This is the closest possible situation you could ever have to what happened with Rahab. They're harboring Jews in their home as Christians, keeping them from Hitler and his armies. And her and her sister have a different point of view on this. Her sister literally refuses to lie. They have a fight about this at the table. And she says, I do not believe that God is going to allow someone to die because I did what he told me to do. He tells me to tell the truth. He says he delights in the truth. And he says that all of his work is done in truth. You know, she's she's basing all of her things upon the Bible. And she says, I don't think that God is going to allow these people to die because I did what he told me to do. And then Corey is saying, yeah, well, I also don't think he's going to condemn me for trying to save his people. And the father jumps in and he says, hey, 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 we're not going to fight over this. God has grace for everyone. And so, you know, we need to all go about this in the way that we believe is right for God. And there's no reason to fight about this. And what ends up happening is twice her sister refuses to lie. And both times the person escapes. 
initially, one of the times it looks as if that person got captured, uh, they did get captured, but they do get released. They don't go into the concentration camp and they don't die. And another time, the soldiers just don't find the people that they're hiding, but she tells them exactly where the people are hiding because they ask her, do you have Jews in your house? Are you hiding them? And she says, yes. They say, where? And she says, right here. And then something happens where the soldiers just have to leave for some strange reason, right? Because God has protected those people. And so God did not allow those people to die because she had, because she did what God told her to do. Now, Corey does lie. And she also saves many Jews because of it. And so what I would presume to say is that God did not fault Corey for not having enough faith in him. That's what I would say. But he also did not allow those people to die because her sister would not lie for them. And so obviously in extreme cases like this, we have to do what we believe God wants us to do. But most of us are probably never going to be in a situation where we're literally saving someone's life. So I think it's a pretty good assumption that we can just say, um, yeah, it's not okay to lie. Let's just say God says no and move on. I think that it does not prove if we're just lying because we're too scared to tell the truth, then it says God's not big enough to deal with this situation without our help. And that's not true. God is an all-powerful God and he can make anything happen. And so he doesn't need our lies to protect his people. And so I think that we need to, you know, always trust in him and not in ourselves. And by lying because we're afraid, I think we're trusting in ourselves and not trusting in an all-powerful God that can save people when we do what is right. And so I think that we need to do what God tells us to do. We need to allow him to do what only he can do, which is the most powerful things. We should not believe that we can bring about goodness by doing something wrong that just doesn't stand to reason. And so I do think personally that it shows a lack of faith on our part if we think we have to lie in order to help God out in some way. Um, I don't think he needs our help. I think he's bigger than that. And I think that if we honor him by obeying him, then he will reveal his power and take care of the situation. So anyway, I just wanted to address that before we move on to faith and salvation, because I do think that it's easy to look at this and say, oh, she didn't get in trouble for this. Nobody said a word about it. So maybe it's okay. So anyway, you can obviously make up your own minds about that, but this is how I feel about it. So now we're going to deal with this this question, what do you do when God reveals himself to you? God has used his people to reveal himself to others forever. And some people think that he was just exclusive to the Jews in the Old Testament, but that wasn't the case. He wanted every other nation to see that he was God. He said that's why he did these miraculous things. But some people wanted to join God's people and 
follow his laws and live under him. And other people resisted him. And that's what we see here. God said, I want everyone to know me. I want everyone to follow me. But just believing that I'm a God that has power, but maybe there's other gods, that's not okay. And that's what a lot of these nations did. He wanted everyone to realize, no, I'm the only one God. I have all power to do godly, divine, spiritual things. And no other God has any power. Also, neither do you. You have no power against me. So that was the first thing. And then he also wanted the people to submit to him. And so they could join the Israelites. They could come and they could live with the Israelites. But the Israelites lived under God's rules. And there were consequences for breaking God's rules. So they had to agree to that. And if they were willing to agree to that, then great. God wanted that. But if they said, yeah, I agree that you are the one true God, but I'm going to fight against you because I don't want to do the things that you say. I don't want to live among your people. I want to do my own thing. Then if you're going to fight against God, be prepared to lose. That's that's what he's showing us visibly in the Old Testament. And now this is even happens to us today. Some people realize that he is a God, but they're not sure if he's the God. They think maybe there are several gods or whatever. That's not the truth. And it doesn't, oh, and it causes them to resist him. And then other people do maybe recognize that he probably is the God. He probably did create us. He probably does have power, but they don't want to submit to him. They don't want to follow his laws. And so those people are fighting against him. And in the Old Testament, he shows us visibly the people that fight against me, they lose. But that's the same thing today. If we fight against him, we lose. If we join with him, then we're saved. Same as it was with Rahab and the rest of the people. And so the way that Rahab did it, where she professed her faith in God, she said, I believe that he is the one true God, the only God, and I'm willing to place my trust my whole life in his hands, and I'm also willing to make him my Lord. Some people, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, they want to make him their savior. They say, oh, save me from this land. And then if Rahab would have done that and said, oh, save me from this, and then I'm going to go and I'm going to join another nation that you haven't conquered yet, well, God would just go conquer that nation and she wouldn't be saved. And so she had to commit her life to him. And this is the exact same way that we are saved today. It's all by faith. The faith that Rahab had in him, the way she placed her faith in him instead of the kings, instead of the gods of Jericho, instead of the soldiers, instead of in herself, then this is the faith that still saves us today. And Jesus even does this in his time. There's a story at the end of Luke 7 where Jesus is eating with some religious leaders of that time and a woman comes to him and they say, this is a sinful woman. Very possibly she also is a prostitute, has lived her life in that way. It doesn't say that, but it says she's a sinful woman and everyone knows it. 
And she comes to him while he is sitting down and eating with these religious leaders. And I want to read you this story, how it plays out. This is Luke 7, 27. And it says, Behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and she stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears, and she wiped them away with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet, and she anointed them with fragrant oil. And so she comes to him like this, and all of the religious leaders are appalled. They're like, I cannot believe you are letting this simple woman touch you and come in here and make this spectacle. She is beneath you. She's not a good person. And you're allowing this to happen. And this is what Jesus's response is. This is verse 47. Jesus tells him this parable and he says, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to pay, he freely forgave both of them. And then he asked the people, he said, which of them will love him the most? And they answered, I guess the one that he forgave the most. And he says, right. And so this is verse 44. And he says, okay, so do you see this woman right here? He said, I came into your house and you didn't give me any water to clean my feet. But this woman has washed my feet with her tears and she has wiped them with the hair of her head and she hasn't quit kissing them since she came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil and she anointed my feet with oil. And so he says, this woman's sins are many and I forgive them. And she has loved me much because I've forgiven her many sins. So he's making a juxtaposition between them and these two debtors. He says, you may not have very many sins, but I forgive them. She has many sins and I forgive them also, but she loves me more because I've forgiven her more. And then he turns to the woman and he says, your sins are forgiven. And then the very last verse, verse 50, he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So both of these women are sinful and God forgives them because they have faith in him, because they love him, because they place their trust in him. Not because they've done anything good, these Pharisees are good. These religious leaders are good. That doesn't matter. Another time in Mark 2, Jesus is actually eating with sinful people, the tax collectors and the sinful people. And the scribes and the Pharisees again are like, what are you doing? These are bad people. And every time God says, yes, they're sinful people. That's why they need me. That's what he says at the end of this. In Mark two seventeen. he says, those who are well have no need for his position, but those who are sick, they're the ones that need a doctor. And so he says, I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call the sinners to repentance. It only makes sense that I am having dinner with the sinners. They're the ones that need me the most. And so Jesus completely 
does away with this idea that Rahab is a sinner and this woman is a sinner and these tax collectors are sinners and they are the ones that he should reject and he should save the righteous people. He said, no, it has nothing to do with what you do. It has everything to do with your faith in me. That is literally all I care about. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then in Romans 6.23, he says the wages of sin are death. So every single person has sinned and they deserve to die because of it. They don't deserve to be saved. No one. That's what he's saying. No one deserves to be saved. The entire town of Jericho deserved to die. No person deserves salvation. But at the end of 623, he says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we are all sinners, but it's only by the gift of God that we get saved. Rahab asked, can I be saved? This woman came to Jesus crying, kissing him anointing him with this sweet smelling oil and she she just wants him to save her she knows he's a she's a sinner that's what god wants from each one of us he wants us to recognize i have done wrong things i'm no better than anyone else and i need salvation just like every other person that's all god is asking of us and then when we realize that that we place our faith in him for that salvation. Ephesians 2 8 says, By grace you have been saved through faith, but that it is a gift from God. Only because God loves us does He extend this grace to us because He does want everybody to come to know Him. But we have to recognize that we are sinners. We have to place our faith in Him and make Him our Lord. Put ourselves under him, follow his way. Some people believe in him. They see him as God, but they don't want to submit to him. They want him to save them, but they don't want to submit to him. They're like, forgive my debt, and then I'm not going to place my my faith in you. I recognize I'm a sinner. Please, please forgive me. And then they go on about their lives doing whatever they want. So I want to end with this verse. This is Romans 10, 9, all the way through 13. And it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on God and asks for salvation, saying that I know that I'm a sinner and I need that salvation. Everyone that asks for that will be saved. But... They also have to confess that he is Lord. You can't just ask Jesus to be your Savior. We have to also say, he is my Lord, meaning I will follow him. 
He is the boss of me, and I will do what he says. That's what Rahab did. She she confessed that she knew that he was the one and only God and that she needed his salvation. This sinful woman that came to Jesus knew that she was doing wrong and she needed his salvation. These tax collectors, all of them knew it. The Pharisees, maybe they didn't realize because they thought they were good. And that's why God says, it's not anything that you do. It is the gift that I extend to you because I love you and I want you to be mine. I want you to be saved. I want you to join my kingdom. But you need to recognize it, recognize your need for salvation, ask me for it, and then follow me. Make me your Lord. You need to see him as the one and only true God. What Rahab said, the God of heaven and earth, the God, the creator, and then accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, not one or the other. When we do that, then God saves us from our sin. And when we die, we join his people with him in heaven. Rahab joined God's people here on this earth. We will join God's kingdom in heaven. That's what it means to be saved. So it's been happening the same since the beginning of time. When God reveals himself to us, what do we do with it? Has nothing to do with whether we are good or bad. Has to do, do we place our faith in him? Do we submit to him, acknowledging him as the one true God, our Lord and our Savior? That's it. So. Even in the Old Testament, God was pointing us to salvation. What a wonderful story. So I hope that you have enjoyed this today. I hope that it has helped you respond and let me know what you think about lying. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And also on being saved through faith. Any responses that you would have. If you go to my website, livethroughjesus.com. You can find my email there. You can email me or you can respond to this video or podcast, however you would like to do that. I also do a written lesson with all of these scriptures and all of this information on Substack. If you would like to subscribe to that, you can get that for $6 a month. We'll get one lesson every single week. And so it's just a Bible study that you get, but it's forever for $6 a month. So you can do that also. Otherwise, just subscribe so that you can get the next episode. We'll be going to Joshua 3 next week and see how Joshua proceeds as they go into the promised land. So, thanks and have a good day.